If I can risk my life inviting Liam to church, you can invite your coworkers, right? All right, so August 7th, 14, 21, 28, you don't want to miss it, at the movies. We got handouts for you. Uh, the QR code sends them to a really awesome at the movies website where they can register for giveaways. There's pictures. We'll have popcorn, drinks, everything. So do me a favor. Let's tell people about it, right? Y'all in? Ready for church? You ready for the word? Ooh, that was so much going on before I, man, I feel like I need a water break in between all that and my sermon. All right, hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, whether you got your paper Bible or your phone. If you don't have either, you can follow behind me along on the screen. Uh, as Darla mentioned as she was singing, we've been preaching through the Beatitudes. Um, and what happened is when Jesus gets ready to preach this incredible sermon on the mount, he begins it by pulling in his disciples and sharing about nine things that they should be blessed about, and then he gives results for it. And we've been taking it one by one each week. I believe this is week five, I think. Last week we talked about being hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Did y'all enjoy that sermon last Sunday, being hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Um, all right, two of you, so I'll make sure not to preach that message again. Uh, you know, it's a lot of work I do up here, all right? I need you guys to be a little more excited about it. I'm just kidding. I know you, know you enjoyed it. So uh, I'm going to read through, starting at verse one, uh, and then we'll get into the beatitude for today. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Here's what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about blessed are those who are willing to let go of the rope and just let God. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And we talked about us going through hard times in our culture today and how Jesus is there and he draws close to those that are in pain. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we talked about the importance of us lowering down so that others can be up and the idea that putting our desires aside to be able to allow others to experience Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We talked last week about hungering for the presence of God and through the process of getting in the presence of God, we are then made righteous. Then here's our beatitude for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. He goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Decided to title today's message pretty simple. I just titled it, Have Mercy. Now, if you're an 80s baby and a 90s kid, you heard that in the voice of Uncle Jesse from Full House. You know what I mean? And y'all were like, have mercy, all right? Talking about a different kind of mercy. Um, not really, but kind of. But I was thinking through, like, okay, we're talking about mercy. We understand the attitude of mercy. And how do we, or I started processing through, like, opportunities in my life where I had to show mercy. You know what I mean? And opportunities where I was showed mercy. And I was talking to Darla last night, and we remembered a story where I had to show two people mercy in the same situation. So let me give a little bit of context to it. When I was young, my parents thought it was smart to buy me something called a My Buddy doll. Y'all ever heard of this, the My Buddy doll? When they bought it for me in our culture that day, uh, the, the new thing was a movie by the name of Child's Play. And so there was this movie where this like doll was possessed. His name was Chucky, and he would go around and kill people, right? You know, obviously what you'd want your kids to watch. But simultaneously, when that came out, I was gifted this doll, and he was like a My Buddy doll, and he stood about this tall, and he was very similar looking to Chucky. 
And so throughout the time, the process kind of went through. I kept getting scared of the doll. And so one day I took the doll. I jumped over the fence of our apartment complex. I walked into the woods and I chunked the My Buddy doll into the lake. And that's what happened. That's where he lives today, um, I guess. I don't know. He could have got up. We're not sure. But, but years later, I was telling the story and my friend Tim happened to have a My Buddy doll as well himself. So he thought it was nice of him to gift me this My Buddy doll which I never asked for, you know, I mean, I didn't want that, so I had to show him mercy to begin with because he brought this demonic thing back into my life, and it was in my house, but then one day, my wife thought it was smart because in this season of my life, I was getting up at about four in the morning to go to the gym, and so I would get into the garage, and I wouldn't turn any lights on. I would get in the garage, and it'd still be pitch black, and I'd wait till I was in the car, door closed, to then open the garage, and then I would leave out, right? Well, I had gone to sleep before my wife, and so what she had done is she had snuck into the car, and she had taken the My Buddy doll that was gifted from Sir Tim, and she had put it in the passenger seat, and she buckled him up, gets better, she turned his head to look at me like this, and so at 4.30 in the morning, in pitch black, I got in the car, I hit the garage, and when the garage door opened, all the lights came on, and there he was, just like... What up? You know? And that was one of those moments where I had to show some extreme mercy to two people in one time. I did go on to destroy that doll as well. And so all, if there's, there's no existence, if you give me one, I will destroy it. I'm just letting you know they deserve to die. Just the way it is. You'll hear me talk a lot about grace. Grace is when God gives us good things. Mercy is when you and I are spared from bad things that we do deserve. So grace is when we get good things that we don't deserve. Mercy is when we are spared from bad things that we do deserve. My wife and Tim deserved very bad things as a result of that doll's existence. But being the Holy Spirit-led man that I am, we did not bring any kind of vengeance on them yet. God's most dominant characteristic in dealing with mankind is mercy. It's his mercy. It's a part of everything that God does. Mercy flows through everything that God does. Therefore, those who desire to be with him, we talked last week about our desire to hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Those who desire to be with him will see the necessity in developing the trait of then showing mercy. When we understand that God's most dominant characteristic with us is mercy, then the more we want to be with God, the more we learn the necessity of then showing mercy. Now, let me, let me kind of bring you into what's happening in Matthew chapter 5 culturally so that you understand why everything that Jesus said in the Beatitudes was countercultural. Everything he said went against what they believed. But let me help you understand why mercy did, okay? In that day, in that culture of that day, everybody believed that any suffering you experienced was a result of your sin. So if you were blind, if you were deaf, if you were lame, if anything was wrong with you in any context, what they believed was that God was punishing you for either your sin or, watch this, your parents' sin. They believed that the sin was existent in your life, and therefore as a result of your sin or as a result of a generational sin, this was now what was happening to you. In their mind, watch this, it was the attitude of whatever's happening to you is what you deserve. You're getting what you deserve. 
And therefore, they also understood that their acts and their behavior brought on their righteousness. So this idea of them receiving mercy and them giving mercy was very foreign. It, it, it just it wasn't a common concept for them. So when Jesus steps up and he says what he's about to say, it was literally countercultural for them because they did not show people mercy. If something was wrong with you, you deserved it. If something happened to you, you deserved it. As well as, if any righteousness I have, I earned it. So I don't need mercy, nor am I going to show mercy. But from Genesis all the way to Revelation, what we read about is God's mercy toward us and our need to show mercy towards other people. It's one of the main themes in the Bible. It's important that you and I know what mercy is and why we need to show it. Jesus experienced a very human life. He experienced losing family members. He experienced sickness. He experienced pain. He experienced hunger. He experienced dealing with difficult and frustrating people. And so he understands, listen to me, he understands the difficulty of showing other people mercy. But he did it anyway. And so Jesus steps up, looks at his disciples, and he says in Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy. Why? Because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, who show mercy, because then they will be shown mercy. Now, here's what's interesting. Please notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are those who forgive, for they will be forgiven. He said, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And here's why. Because being merciful is more than just forgiveness. Being merciful involves putting our feelings aside, however we feel about it. Remember, this whole series is called Flipping Our Feelings. So having mercy means we put our feelings aside and we think about how someone else feels. Our, our mindset is, how is someone else feeling? And watch this. How can I best help them? So it's not just forgiveness. It's not just, okay, I'm sorry. You know, you go your way, you go my way. It's me trying to understand your experience. And then on top of that, hoping the best for you. Mercy is not just about forgiving people. But identifying with them, watch this, and understanding their experiences. When Darla and I started dating, we would go out to restaurants, and she had this, like, abnormal grace and mercy for waiters and waitresses. Like, I'm not a jerk. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not, like, mean to waiters and waitresses. But, I, you know, in my mindset, it's a job. And so, I, you know, I wasn't, like, abnormally, you know, over-the-top merciful. But she was. And, I mean, it was always, like, they would bring out food. And it'd be wrong. And she'd be like, oh, it's okay. Like, she was so merciful. And the more we got to know each other, I found out it's because she used to be a waitress. And here's what happens. When you used to be a waitress, yeah, I hear some claps already. When you used to be a waitress, you understand what's going through or what a waitress is going through. When you used to be a waiter, you understand what a waiter's going through. You understand what it means to serve a table of 30 people, get no tip, and then have another family with six crying kids come in and they're ordering all this food and you know you might not get another tip. Because when you've been in their shoes, you understand their experience, right? It's the same thing when you have kids. Those of you that have children, I don't know if you did this, 
Darla and I did this. Before we had kids, we'd go out, and if somebody had a kid that was causing all kinds of trouble, we were so judgmental. You know, we'd be like, look, I'll never let my kid act like that. These are bad parents. This is Target. You don't let your kid act a fool in Target. We're at a restaurant. I'm going to pay 80 mil, you know, $80 for a steak that nobody can cook well. You should not interrupt my dinner. Then you have kids, and that's your kid acting a fool in Target, right? And now Darla and I will go out. I'm not lying to you. We'll go out on a date. You know, we'll be out without the kids. We'll be on a date, and there'll be a family, and their kid will be acting a fool, and Darla will be just admiring them. She'll be like, oh, bless that mother's heart. She'll be like, maybe I can go over and help them. I'm like, sit down. You know what I mean? Because when you've been in their shoes, it's different trying to give mercy to someone when you don't understand their experience. But when you understand their experience, when you've been through what they've been through, listen to me, this is why God gives us testimonies. Because there's somebody going through a similar test that you made it through. And all they need is the mercy of Jesus. And he's not here physically, but he's here spiritually. And if he can get in you, he can get through you. And if he gets through you, he meets that person in their moment. And they realize that Jesus is merciful. And we're merciful because we've been shown mercy. If we want to become merciful people, listen to me. If you're in this room and you say, I really do want to be more merciful, here's the answer. It's imperative that we cultivate a view of God and of ourselves that believes that every joy, every virtue, every blessing of our lives is owed to the free and undeserved mercy of God. When you wake up in the morning and you realize that you are breathing and you got a job and you got a roof and you got healthy kids and you can get up out of your bed and go get in hot running water and you can make you some coffee, right? And you, you start to realize that it's all because, why? Why can I do all this? Because of the free and undeserved mercy of God. The only reason why you can have any of this, how can I have hope? A world that seems hopeless because of the undeserved and free mercy of God. How can I believe that in a, in a society that's falling apart that I am protected and that, that good things will happen to me because of the undeserved and free mercy of God? When we understand it, we can operate in it. And I'm going to show you this kind of throughout the message, but, but here's the underlying statement you've got to get. If you want to be merciful, you have to realize you've been shown mercy. Yes. If that can happen in your mind, you can start to process the fact that God, the creator of the universe, decided to show you free and undeserved mercy. Then it's hard for us to walk out and not give that same thing to other people. So as I'm processing this, I, I came up with three ways that I think you and I could, could start aiming to show mercy. Now, obviously, we can show mercy in many ways, but I feel like if we can nail down these three, it's possible that we'll make good progress in the direction, and it might possibly become easier than it is today. So the first thing is this. You and I need to show mercy for people who make mistakes. Right off the bat, you and I need to get it in our mind. Now, I'm talking about generic mistakes. I'm not necessarily talking about mistakes just towards you that just impact you. Now, normally we don't 
care about mistakes unless they impact us. But people in general who make mistakes, you and I need to be able to show mercy to them. Listen to me. Mercy comes from mercy. The mercy that we show comes out of the mercy that we've been given. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. The only way to accurately show mercy, I love this, is to constantly remember how good God was to us. How merciful God was to us. One night we're in the house. Babe, I'm sorry for this story. We're in the house one night. And, and I would do the laundry, and I, a lot of times I'd put my clothes on hangers, but it was so much clothes, and I needed to clean up. We have a little bitty closet, so I'd hang them in the doorway. And then I would, like, I'll deal with it in the morning, you know. And so one day, Darla got tired of walking through them because I went from one night to probably, like, a week and a half. Y'all know how it happens. And, and she comes over to me. I'm already in the bed. And she's like, I don't remember how she said it, so I'm going to exaggerate it a lot, okay? But she was basically like, would you get your stupid clothes out of the doorway? You la-. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. But she did. She was like, can you, sweetheart, can we, can we get rid of these clothes? I didn't say anything. I got out the bed all gentle and meek-like, and I'm going to use that for a long time. Walked in the bathroom, hung my clothes up, no big deal. Went back, went to bed, went to sleep. A couple days later, I'm in the bathroom. I'm walking. She's got a pile of clothes and some shoes. I stepped on the shoe, almost broke my neck. Stuck my head out the bathroom and said, hey, babe, can we clean up this stuff? Can we, can we not have stuff right here? Man, you would have thought she came at me. I'm trying to like, shing, you know, like Wolverine. And I literally, literally, I was like, look, look, and this is what I told her. I said, hey, I ain't say nothing when you told me about the clothes. I was merciful towards you. This is going to be such a bad Sunday afternoon. You be merciful towards me. Thy Bible saith. Blessed be thy merciful. For then you shall be shown mercy. Exactly how I did it, right there. I did it. If y'all believe that, you're wrong. Yeah. But here's, here's, I say all that to say this. If we think we have to earn God's forgiveness, if we even think that we can, if we think that we have to earn God's mercy, if we even think that we can, then we will try to make others earn our forgiveness and our mercy. If we're ever in a place where we are trying to get other people to earn our mercy, the foundational issue is that we think we have to earn God's. And so because we can't, we're frustrated and we hold people to an expectation that they'll never meet. But if we are aware that it is by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ that I'm forgiven undeserving, then it doesn't matter whether or not this person deserves it. We show them mercy because we have been shown mercy. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Colossus. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, this is us, holy and dearly loved. I'm not holy. Yes, you are because he's holy. Told you last week, you're righteous because he's righteous. It's not about your performance. So Paul is talking to you when he says, hey, God's chosen person holy and dearly loved. Watch this. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Why, Lord? Do it and then bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, I love this. Watch this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we have any grievance, if somebody has ever made a mistake, 
If we want to judge somebody or categorize somebody because they think differently or act differently, forgive, show mercy, because God forgave. Because God showed mercy. When, when we struggle to show mercy to those who've messed up, when we have a difficulty displaying mercy to people who have made a mistake, it's best to remember that while God might be asking you to forgive someone for one or maybe two incidents, he's forgiven us for an entire lifetime of sin. See, here's what I love about the grace of God. You've been forgiven for the sins you committed up to the point you came in this building, but you've also been forgiven for every sin from this point forward. God forgives for an entire lifetime of sin, and we are being told to forgive for an incident or two incidents. <laughs> the other day, y'all ever played Super Mario Brothers? Anybody here a Super Mario Brothers fan, right? I'm talking about classic Super Mario Brothers. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you're in trouble, if you're playing two people, you can hit A and you go into the bubble. Anybody remember that? Y'all remember that? All right, so we're playing Super Mario Brothers today. We have it on the Wii. I know that's ancient, but you know, it is what it is. So we're playing it on the Wii and we, two of the controllers wouldn't work. So it ended up being, I was on the couch, Casey Ray, who's my seven-year-old, Veda, who's my 12-year-old, and then Darla on that. So all four of us on the couch playing Super Mario Brothers. Because of the remotes, watch this, it ended up being Veda and Casey playing together. Y'all see where this is going? Casey Ray was Luigi, Veda was Mario, and they're playing, and Casey Ray is acting a complete fool, all right? Like, she kind of knows how to play, but not really, and so she's dying. She's, like, falling down all the little tunnels and holes. When, it, when she doesn't need to, she's going into the bubble, and you can see Veda getting visibly mad. Like, she's starting to, you know, get up to the top, and she's starting to yell and get mad. Casey, Casey, and she wants Casey to stop playing, and I look over, and I said, now, hold on, Veda. I said, listen, it was just a few years ago that you didn't know how to play, and me and your mother were playing with you, and we had mercy towards you, right, when you were playing and you were dying, we showed you grace, so therefore you need to show grace to your sister. Like you were shown it, so now you should show it. It's interesting, and tell me what you think about this. In our culture today, we've become great judges of other people's sins and great lawyers of our own. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're quick to judge someone's sin, but we're quick to argue and debate our own. And as long as that's the case, it'll be the case. But until we are realistic about our mess-ups, until we are very open about our mistakes, until we realize that we're not as perfect as we tell Facebook that we are, <laughs> when we understand that, that's when mercy begins to flow. Because we understand, hey, if, if I was shown mercy, then, then you should be shown mercy. <laughs> the next time we think of someone who's messed up, watch this. As we look at their face, let's see the face of Jesus. As we look at the face of someone who messed up, let's look at the face of the one who forgave us. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. That if I need to be able to show mercy and I'm struggling with it, let me see them as Jesus and remember the mercy that Jesus showed me. So the first step for us is we got to show mercy to those who messed up. Second is this, we got to show mercy to those who let us down. Mistakes is kind of generic because somebody can make a mistake and it not be very big on you, but it's different when we start talking about showing mercy to people who personally let you down, to people who actually offended you, to people who did something bad to you. 
Listen to me. Forgiving is hard. It's, it's hard. Especially when it's someone who has hurt or offended you. I don't ever want you to think that I'm downplaying what you've gone through. That I'm, that I'm belittling it. I don't know what everybody's been through, and I don't know how long it's been, and I don't know the damage it did. It could have been something that has happened recently. It could have been something that's been doing damage for decades. It could be a parent. It could be a spouse. It could be a relationship, a friend, a coworker, a boss. But, but something happened, and I understand that it, it hurt you. It, it offended you. It disrespected you. It dishonored you. And the truth of the matter is this, what they did was wrong. It's wrong. But here's the other deal. Revenge is not the answer. Whatever was done to you was wrong, but revenge is not the answer. And here's the worst part about it. If we don't have forgiveness, bitterness is all that's left. If we're not going to take revenge because the Bible says not to, the Bible actually says that revenge is the Lord's. That's between him and them. Because ultimately what God wants is for them to learn but to be restored. God wants them to have purpose. God wants them to be saved. God wants them to be, again, resurrected and, and fixed and changed and all these things. Where sometimes all we want is to hurt. We want you to hurt like you made us hurt. And so that becomes our movement, right? And that's why the Lord says, listen, revenge is the Lord's. So what they did hurt you. That's understandable. It hurt bad. But revenge is not the answer. But if revenge is not the answer and we don't forgive, then without forgiveness, the only thing left is bitterness. I actually heard it say one time that bitterness is a poison pill we swallow to hurt the other people and it kills us. People walking around bitter, missing out on what God's got for them because they don't know how but they want to show that person how bad it hurt them our responsibility is to make the right decision based on God's word God's responsibility is to heal our emotions when it comes to somebody who's done us wrong when it comes to somebody who's offended us when it comes to someone who has hurt us to a point where it felt like death. I'm talking tears. I'm talking about you didn't want to live. I'm talking about bad pain. Listen to me. Our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ, our responsibilities as believers that God draws near and close to those who hurt. As a believer of the ones who mourn will be comforted. It's our responsibility to respond the way the word says. And then we rely on God to heal our emotions. I will never ask you to do one without the other. If you're out here trying to forgive without allowing God to heal, then it's not enough. If you're trying to ask God to heal without forgiving, it won't work. The forgiveness is the first step to the healing. In Luke chapter 23, something very interesting happens. If you know the, the gospel story, Jesus is arrested, and the concept, he has been causing a lot of trouble, and the religious people find threat in Jesus, and so they need to put a stop to what Jesus is doing, and so the obvious solution is to have him killed. And so he's been in prison, and 
Pilate is kind of in charge, but Pilate doesn't want Jesus' blood on his hands, so he brings Jesus before the people, and the ritual was to let one criminal go free, so he brings Jesus, who up to this point is innocent, and he brings this other individual by the name of Barabbas, who is very guilty, and he says to the people, which one do you want to go free? Assuming, watch this, assuming the people will let Jesus go free because he's done nothing, and this guy has killed people. So it would make sense that they'll just say, Jesus, and then I'll be good and don't have to worry about it. And the people cry out, crucify him, kill him, kill Jesus. So that becomes the message, right? So now Jesus goes through this process of, of being beat 39 times with what they call a cat of nine tails, which is a whip with hooks and it bits into his back and it pulls the flesh out. They then take this crown of thorns and they shove it down on his head as those thorns are piercing into his head. And then they cause him to pick up his own cross. They, take, they, they, take, they rip out his hair. They take off his clothes, naked and beaten. He carries his own cross up to eventual execution site. He puts the cross in. They then nail him to the cross, as you know. Uh, I won't go into major medical details, but basically he dies from suffocation as he's trying to pull himself up to breathe. Eventually, he doesn't have the strong, the tendons and shoulders are tearing. He doesn't have the strength to pull himself up, so he eventually dies. But before he dies, he has the opportunity to talk to God, his father, God, the creator of the world, about these people who have falsely accused him, beaten him, spit on him, pulled out his hair, called him names, and ultimately executed him. And he gets ready and he says, I hate them, Father. I hate them. They shouldn't have done this. I just pour lightning on them all. Let them all die. No. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. It's powerful words. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't know what was happening inside of them. Because what they thought they were doing was taking care of some God that was not about their agenda, not about them. What was happening is sin was winning in their heart. I say that to tell you this. The people who hurt you, we forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You say, oh, they knew what they were doing. They might have known what they were doing on the surface. But I'm telling you, they were fighting an inward battle that they didn't know how to win. They were being overcome by temptation that they didn't know how to overcome. They were being persuaded by an enemy that they didn't even know how to fight. And so they did things that were disastrous to you and to me. But at the root of it, at the very root of it is sin. The very root of it is the devil. And we live in a sinful world. And God says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that's when it hit me. Mercy is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. So whether he felt 100% like God in that moment, he had to feel 100% like man in that moment. And there had to be a moment where he didn't feel like forgiving them. There had to be a moment where what he felt like was laying hands on them. You know what I mean? Spiritually. Like, let me touch you for a second. That's, that's, that's not, it's not how he felt. 
And Jesus is trying to teach us as followers of God, don't be persuaded by how you feel. Be persuaded by what God's done for you. Show mercy because he's shown mercy. Forgive because he's forgiven. A few months ago, Pastor Ron Woods was in town and he preached and he commissioned our building. And I was talking to Chris one night, a couple weeks afterwards, and he, we were just, he was kind of asking about the story, you know, like the story of Pastor Ron and our relationship. Pastor Ron was my very first pastor. Married Darla and I and gave me my very first job in ministry. And, but my hero to this day, just I love him, I look up to him. But it's an interesting story when you really go deep into the story because uh, when Pastor Ron was pastoring Raleigh Assembly of God in Memphis, Tennessee, I became the assistant to the youth pastor. His name was Jason Byers. Brian Hogwood invited me to church. I got saved, got called to ministry, started serving the best that I could and ended up ending up in that place serving and uh, made a couple of decisions that young people do that were stupid and uh, a lot to do with relationships, not Darla. When I met her, it was like heaven and manna fell from down. And it was like, this is the one. Yep. And I had the choice at the time to either continue the relationship or quit the job. That job was everything to me. But because I was young and absolutely stupid, I, I took the relationship. A couple months later, I couldn't even stand to look at her. So I broke up with the, with the relationship, but now I don't have the job, right? And, and at the time, it's, it's unhealthy. I can't go into this, but I had found a lot of my identity in that. And so I had to get back into that. And the church started this internship. Now, keep in mind, we're at strike one. Strike one was choosing this relationship over my ministry job, right? So then I find out there's this internship called Master's Commission. And the Master's Commission first year had five students in it. And all five students, because the youth group was so big, all five students had to help in the youth ministry. So I said, if I go to Master's Commission and I get on the youth team, they can't stop me from serving in the youth ministry. I'll have to, right? Like, you know, a little mustache, right? Like, this is awesome. So I joined Master's Commission. It goes first year, five people. Second year, 27 people. So they split everybody up in different ministries. They sent me to the kids' ministry. I looked the director in the face and said, you're stupid. Like, like told the man of God to his face. Like, I don't know how I'm still alive to this day. They put me in kids' ministry. It was terrible. A couple years into it, I quit the internship. Didn't want to be a part of it. Strike. Months go by, I think maybe even a year or so, I'm hungering to be in full-time ministry, so I start serving again. I never really quit serving, just honestly, anything they needed. They needed a floor mopped, I mopped it. They needed a door open, I opened it. I just wanted to show Pastor Ron, like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. So he ends up getting this meeting. We come into his office one day, the executive pastor's there, he's there, the other staff, and, and they're sharing with me what I, you know, just kind of, we're talking through who I've been over the past couple years, the mistakes I've made. I'm crying, and I'm just like, I just know I'm called to ministry. I just want to be here. And they say, all right, we got a position as a janitor here at the church. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. Now, this was Thursday, like, afternoon. I'll take it. Yes, oh, yes, 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 I want it. They said, good. They said some really nice things. We prayed together. They told me they loved me, all these nice things. We walked out of the room, and I, and I went home Thursday night having a job back at the church. Weekend's happening. I get that little thing on my shoulder talking. He's like, you've, like, spoke on the stage in the youth ministry, and now you're going to clean toilets? You know, all that pride situation, you know what I mean? And I was so embarrassed to tell anybody that I called our executive pastor's phone at 6 o'clock Monday morning because I knew she wouldn't answer. And I left a voicemail letting her know that I couldn't take the job, that I couldn't be the janitor. Strike three. 
Now, if you're a baseball fan, you're out. Done. I tried to imagine Pastor Ron as he's dealing with me, going like this kid. I start trying to do secular jobs, and I just I couldn't escape it. Darla and I had started dating. Now we're wanting to get married. She's like, you know, we're talking through marriage. I was like, I, I just, I got, I got to get a job at the church. I know what I'm supposed to do. And I'll never forget the meeting. I, I finally ended up serving our youth pastor. He ended up moving to start a church. And I ended up, I was emailing Pastor Ron once a week. Once a week, y'all. Pastor Ron, I just want you to know, I'm working at Casa America, selling mortgage companies. And da, 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 da. I just want, I, just, I know I'm supposed to be at the church. One day he finally took me out. We went Christmas shopping for his kids. And he told me that uh, there was kind of a cafe that he wanted me to lead. That's what I'd get paid to do. He said, on Sundays, you'll serve in the kids' ministry. I said, whatever, whatever it takes. Never had a cafe. Served in kids' ministry till eventually Darla and I became, we got married, we became the children's pastors. Went from children's pastor to youth pastor, youth pastor to executive pastor, executive pastor. Moved here to plant a church, and Pastor Ron's in town, and we're together. And we're talking about it, revisiting what that was like, you know. And I'm just kind of like, what? Like, at what point did you decide to have mercy towards me? Like, at strike four, strike five, strike six, you know what I mean? Like, at what point, what point would you have just been done? And I remember him saying, like, you know what? I just saw something in you. Jesus is merciful because he sees the best in every person. He sees the best in you. Even when you can't see it. He sees the best in me. So Jesus is merciful because he sees the best. And you and I should be able to see the best in others and that is how we So we show mercy towards those who make mistakes, and we show mercy towards those who have done us wrong. Here's probably the most important one. Lastly, we show mercy to ourselves. You know, sometimes before we can truly forgive other people, in order for you to be able to forgive somebody else, you have to forgive yourself. It's impossible for you to give what you don't have, right? And so you're never going to be able to show mercy towards somebody if you don't know how to receive God's mercy towards you. And there's something in us that thinks we have to deserve God's mercy, and you'll never deserve it. And again, like I said earlier, as long as you think you have to deserve it and you can't deserve it, it's impossible for you to give it. So let's just kind of start for a second, and let's start with this in mind. You have the mercy of God, not because you deserve it, but because he's merciful. And when you can show mercy to yourself, it's so much easier for you to give mercy to other people. Jesus said, I believe it's Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, there 
all these people, all the religious people are starting to kind of talk bad about Jesus and cause all this drama with Jesus because he has been seen eating with tax collectors who were like the biggest sinners. They've seen him hanging out with prostitutes. They've seen him doing all these things, so they start talking bad about him. And Jesus responds to them. Here's what he says. He says, it's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. He says, watch this. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, when he says that, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, I read it in two different ways. The first way I read it is this. People, it was common for people to bring sacrifices to a God. They would burn incense, they would bring animals. It was very common for people to bring sacrifice. And so Jesus says it like this. If you want to worship me, I would prefer you to show mercy than to come bring a sacrifice. The way I operate, Jesus, I would rather you be merciful than burn incense. But this week I'm praying through it, and I'm going to show you in a minute. I'm thinking through that story about my kids playing Super Mario Brothers. And I felt the Lord show it to me in a different way. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So I'm processing through Veda and I and Darla playing Super Mario Brothers. And here's the conversation I came to in my own mind. Why did I let her keep playing? Have you ever played Super Mario Brothers with a six-year-old? It's terrible. Because I'm competitive. And she's competitive. And we wanted to win the game. And every time Darla or, or Veda went into a bubble for no reason, I wanted to throw the Wii remote against the wall. You know what I mean? Like I was so mad and I felt the Holy Spirit ask me, so why didn't you quit the game? You're a grown man. You're the boss of your children. Why not just tell her, go to your room, play with your toys. Mom and dad are going to finish playing the game. Why, why didn't you, Troy? Why didn't you? And here was my honest answer because I would have rather spent time with her than win the game. So when I hear I desire mercy, not sacrifice, I hear Jesus Christ saying, I would rather you receive my mercy and be in relationship with me than to sacrifice your joy and to sacrifice your happiness and to sacrifice your intimacy and your freedom also, you all because you feel guilty of what you've done. I would rather send my son on a cross to die so that you could receive mercy so that we could be together. I think what religion has taught us is because we keep dying in the game and we keep messing up in the game that dad's mad and dad doesn't want to play anymore at least not with us and if there's anything I've learned about being a father it's that winning this game doesn't compare to an hour and a half being with my child Do you agree? Do you agree, B? The Bible says that I feel this way, but there's evil in me. 
that I'm an evil person, I'm a sinner, and I feel this way. So how much more does my Father in heaven feel this way? Yeah, but you don't understand. I'm on my third and fourth continue. Because when you die in Super Marvelous, you got to get a continue. You know what I'm talking about? You go through all five lives, you got to get a continue. I'm on my third and fourth continue. There's no way that God would still have any interest in me. Yes! Because winning whatever you think we're playing doesn't matter to him if he can spend time with you. So he gives mercy in hopes that you'll show mercy. Okay, so okay, so he wants me to show mercy so that I can forgive that person and so that all of a sudden that beef, yes, but can I tell you that's not even the real purpose. He wants you to show mercy so that they can see God. So that maybe for the first time in their life they have a real picture of who Jesus is. I just feel impressed for a moment this morning. If you've been overwhelmed by how you're playing the game, and you've been taught that until you get good at the game, daddy doesn't want to play with you, we got to break that mindset. Because if that's the father we serve, what's the point of mercy? If I got to learn how to play the game before I can be in a relationship with him, what's the point of mercy? Or what if it's the mercy that God sends in advance so that we can always play the game? Casey Ray's playing the other day. Darla's out running some errands and she's playing and She's terrible at this game, y'all. She's terrible. She's on like her, I'm not lying to you, like her seventh continue. And I walked over there and I look at the TV and I see her get another continue. And I just said, I didn't even, I just said, I just went, how many continues can you get? She looked at me, she was like, as many as I want. Let that seven-year-old preach the gospel. How many continues can I get? However many I need. He died on a cross for me so that I could receive mercy, so that I could enter his presence, so that I could have intimacy with my God. His mercy, so I could show mercy. So why would I ever show you mercy? Because my life is overflowing with his mercy. And who am I to not give what I was so freely given? Band, go ahead, come up. Do me a favor, stand with me for a moment. Holy Spirit, in this room, I pray. Your word is so easy to preach because it's so real, it's so relatable. Father, but your grace and mercy is the funnest thing I've ever preached in my life. And I think about every person in this room that's ever heard it taught differently because they've been taught differently about their father they hate the game oh I pray right now for revelation restoration 
reconciliation. Your word says that we are reconciled to you, made right to you by Jesus. There's somebody in this room that cannot forgive somebody and it has nothing to do with what they did. It has everything to do that they don't see how much you love them. They can't break through that lie that they have to perform to be able to be approved by you. That's what's got to go today. That's got to go. It's got to go. That you would remove that and that the mercy of Jesus would just start to overflow in our lives. Listen to me, church. All he ever wants to do is to be in your presence. He just wants relationship with you. by intimacy and relationship with him we then want other people to have relationship I've learned that a lot of times the reason I show mercy isn't because I'm merciful but because I just want people to see the Jesus that I serve it's hard to show people the real Jesus and not be merciful because he's merciful worship team is going to start singing. And if you're in here because you need the mercy of Jesus, or if you're in here because you need help showing the mercy of Jesus, you certainly can pray right where you are, but we'd love to invite you down to be able to listen to our prayer team. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you'll be saved. You can do that. And we'd love to walk you through that journey. But I'm telling you, don't leave this place without receiving his mercy being ready to go out to show it. He's alive. His grace, his mercy is alive and it's in the word says that mercy follows you. It's new every morning. Which means we'll have new mercy tomorrow. It's available to you. But you're never going to be able to show it until you can receive it. And I'm just telling you. So Father, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do. That you would begin to work on the hearts of people in this place the individual who's been hurt by somebody who's been offended by somebody and all they need is for you to help them with mercy I pray that something would happen in this room today for that individual that was raised up on religion and legalistic mindset and they don't know quite how to understand how much you love them I pray that that wall would be torn down this morning that father in this room they would have a revelation of your love a revelation of your mercy Again, that in this place, people would start to feel set free from things that have been done to them before, that they would understand the way they're supposed to react is how the word says, and that God, you will heal their emotions. And that's what I pray also in this morning, that people who are hurt would begin to find healing. Father, I can preach your word, but I cannot change a life, but you can. So in this place, do what only you can do, Father. Do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Bring healing. Bring restoration, bring revelation, bring reconciliation. Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.